Uh, Matthew fifteen nineteen, I believe, is where we left off. Let me pull that up. Why did that get up there? I have to get rid of this software update. Decline. That happened while I was praying. There we go. It could just put me to sleep. Just give me a blanket. <laughs> I haven't even started yet. You're going to sleep. No, I, it's just relaxing. <laughs> I, I, you know, I am Zach. Is Zach usually takes five minutes. Oh yeah, I just and love he's, him. I can relate to him. He's out, man. I'll start preaching, and by the third page, that kid's gone, man. That's just, it's a good thing you don't snore. I'm very thankful for him. Uh, oh, we should lift it up, Mikhail, too. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. He's doing a little better, but man, it needs to be, it just keeps coming back. And I told him, I said, dude, it's time for a neurologist, man. It really is. So I know he was going to see his doctor, and I says, please bring it up. You know, just, it, they're not fixing it. And it's spooky. I mean, can he even drive? Yeah, it just hits it him. Just hits you know, and. And I know when he, he has a good day, he's very thankful. That's what he called and told me. He said, you know, I'm, I had a good day today. And I said, I'm just so thankful that I had a good day. I forgot that not all days are good days, and now I do, you know. Okay, enough of that. Uh, verse 19, uh, Jesus is back, I believe, in Galilee. And he's arguing, of course, with uh, the scribes and the Pharisees once again. It's uh, a constant thing here. Now the scribes and Pharisees are coming north. It's not just the local rabbis, and it's not just the local religious leaders. They've complained about him down south to Jerusalem, and the head honchos in Jerusalem, the chief priests, the higher muckety-mucks, are sending Pharisees and Sadducees up north to check on the problem, you know. And so they asked the question about, you know, uh, how he's eating food and you know why do your people not follow our our rules not the law of Moses but our rules and we dealt with that last week he he just you know I told you what how vast the rules became that the scribes existed just to tell you what the rules were they had to have people whose job it was to remember what all the rules were and so Jesus dealt with them and then he goes a bit further, and this is he's concluding his argument with them of why my guys ignore your rules totally. Because I tell them, because I don't tell them anything about them. I don't even talk about your rules, is what Jesus is saying. It says in 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and slanders. He pretty much covers the gambit. And what's important here is where it comes from. Uh, Jesus shows us the path of destruction from evil thoughts to evil deeds and words out of our hearts it all starts with our heart and our minds it is who and what we are this is why Jesus Christ had to come and that's what he's saving us from that you know uh, remember what the angel said you know born to you this day is a savior well, that indicates that we need saved, does it not? Yeah. And what do we need saved from? Sin. Me. Yeah, my sin. Not the Democrats, not the Republicans, not, not the Muslims, you know, not the atheists. Me. 
you know, this is why Jesus taught that thinking it, desiring it, is as much sin as doing it. What he's saying is, yes, when you say it, and the things you say reveal what's in there, because you can't hide it for long. Sooner or later, you can come, you can come in here and have church verbiage most of the time. You come here long enough, and if you get to be close enough in fellowship, and I'm going to address this next one, the, how fellowship sanctifies you, sooner or later, I'm going to say the things that are in my heart, and I'm going to say them in front of all of you. It, and you're going to do that for me. And the deal is this, uh, you know, I'll forgive you, you forgive me, and we'll all grow up together because we all need to see it. And when I say those words and I say them in front of somebody, then I have to deal with them. That truth is brought out. That's the that's a big part of sanctification is knowing I'm wrong. How can you repent of something until you see it? And what Jesus is saying, all you got to do is look at your words. And he took it that step further when he talked about adultery, when he says, you know, anybody who lusts after a woman in his heart, in his heart, he said, it's, you're already doing it. It's already there. The sin's there. You just hasn't been exposed by your words or your deeds yet. And he says, and what does God say in his Old Testament? I know your heart. I know what's in there. You don't. You need to see it. And your words will show it to you. But your words only, honestly, I'm going to take a step further. If you say your words and nobody's there, they don't mean much. It's what you say in front of other people. Because there will come a point in time where the evil will boil out. You know, like I said, you can say your church words for a very long time and you could hide it for a very long time. That's one of the real benefits of marriage is you're going to say stuff that, you know, you can't hide it forever. And it's just going to come out. And I've had my, you know, times when I've said stuff and I sat down and I went, wow, did I just say that? And I went, yeah, I did. Well, and then you say, why did I say that? Well, I know exactly why I said that because that's what's in there. And you could say I was mad at the moment or this or that. You could give all your excuses of why I said that. Truth of the matter is, there's an issue in my heart. Uh, I'm not talking about temptation. Temptation is not sin. It is embracing the temptation and investing mental and emotional energy into the temptation. This originates in our hearts, not in Satan's words. Satan gets way too much credit for our evil. If there was no Satan, our hearts would still be our hearts. We would still need safe from ourselves. Satan is the one who shows us. He moves it along. He's, I don't want to say a necessary evil, but I can't think of another term. He's conducive to repentance. He brings you to the point where you will deal with your point. More than anything, Satan, Lucifer, is a cautionary tale. He, what he did, he was blessed by God with everything we are going to be blessed with. Glorified. He was glorified before he was sanctified. And he fell. That's the cautionary tale. That's why we're here. That's why we're going through what we're going through. So that that doesn't happen to us. Because everything that, the pride that swelled up from it, that's being dealt with right here, right now. So we're being dealt with first and then glorified instead of glorified and then dealt with. The cautionary tale is that if it wasn't that way, we would do what he did. And so the evil is us. 
we would have fell in the garden without him. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind. As soon as God said, don't, it was over. It didn't matter what followed, don't. It was over. There's something you can't do. And deep inside we'd say, well, who are you to tell me what I can do and can't do? You think you're God? <laughs> yes, he does. And we have to learn that. Uh, Satan just speaks to what is he knows is in our hearts. And he knows it's in our hearts because it was in his. He doesn't know you like God knows you. He doesn't have that divine insight, you know, where God says, I know every man's heart. Well, Satan just knows men's, men's hearts, not every man's heart. He knows hearts in general because it's his heart. Lord goes on in verse 20. These are the things which defile the man, the things from your heart. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. You know, and they had that whole series of rituals, how to wash your hands. It had nothing to do with cleanliness. It had nothing to do with germs. It had to do with up to here, let it drip off. And all. I just... You know, legalism to the point of being stifling. Yeah, that ritualism where I'm working, I'm earning something. And earning and grace do not fit together. There's nothing that God gave me that I can earn. You know, I can't earn righteousness. I can just react to the Lord's leading with righteousness. So he's still talking, and of course they're hearing this. Uh, Jesus indicates that a man is defiled as a fact. It, you know, it, we, he, remember, he said, these are the things which defile the man. He's stating, we're defiled. <laughs> Don't lose that, you know, that, yeah, we're, we're all. So he's making a little statement here. Universally, mankind is kaputs. You know, it's, it, we're just not good. And that the things he listed above are the cause. Defiled means to make something good into something bad. If you will remember, when God created us, what did he say? It is good. And then he said it is very good. Until we got involved. Defile means to make something good. Man was created good and that he defiled himself by doing the things listed that Jesus laid out. Defile is a neat, uh, a neat concept. It's, it appears 14 times in the New Testament. Five of them in Matthew and two of them in this chapter. The, the classic Greek meaning is to make something common. Something that's not common, common. It's the exact opposite of sanctify. Sanctify is to make something common into something holy. Defile is the opposite of that. In scripture, to make uh, Levitically unclean, to render unhallowed, to defile, to profane. The Cambridge Dictionary, which I really like because it just says neat stuff, to spoil the goodness or beauty of something. Uh, verse 21 Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon you know we read those things and we just move on to whatever without stopping to think about what that means Tyre and Sidon that's a hike man I mean that's like going from here to like Columbus Ohio you know I mean it's it's an area northwest of Galilee uh, and it's an area of non-Jews so he's leaving Galilee where now the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees are coming up to confront him. He's heading out of town. He's heading away from the Jews. And it's very interesting, his journey to the Jews, away from the Jews, encounters one woman that gets talked about. This whole journey, this whole walk to Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> is 
about an encounter with one woman who's not a Jew. Uh, Phoenician cities on the coast, both of them, perhaps to get away from the Pharisees he had just publicly humiliated. <laughs> Jesus knew when to cut bait and when to fish. You know, I mean, he, it's, it's time to row the boat away. It was all in his hands. You, you remember when he, they tried to take him as king and he said no and he walked away from them. So when people tried to make him king, he walked away. When people tried to kill him, he walked away because it just wasn't time yet. He was in total control. You know, even, uh, you know, there are, I, I'm always amazed by the fact that when they said, uh, who is Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am he. And they all fell over. Yeah. It just tells you the power, what he could do at any given time. Mm-hmm. All he did was say his name. And poof. I mean, you know, and bad dudes, soldiers, trained to fight and kill, you know, and, and basically he said to them, eh, come on, get up. <laughs> you know, go ahead, take me and kill me, you know. But he's in total charge. And all these things he's doing, he's doing for a reason. Uh, the round trip up there and back could have taken weeks or even months. I mean, he's out of sight from the Jews for a while. Verse 28, 21 through 28, deal with the healing of a Canaanite woman. This is what this trip's about. A Canaanite woman's daughter. One of the two specific non-Jewish healings of Jesus the other being the centurion's uh, servant from Matthew 8. Both of those people were commended by Jesus for their great faith and contrasted by Jesus to his own people, the Jews. He would say, he, you know, he just left the Jewish people and, and he has to go all the way up here to find a woman with that much faith in who he is and what he can do. They didn't have Jewish blood but the Jews didn't have their faith, is the best way to put it. And faith is the commodity of the kingdom of God. Never doubt that. I mean, New Testament teaching all the way through, saved by faith through grace. You know, it, it is believing it. And it said, verse 22, And a Canaanite woman from the region, which means she's Canaanite, came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, this is the scribes and Pharisees would never say this. They would never admit this. They would never utter these words. My daughter is cruelly demon possessed. The Canaanites, descendants of Canaan, the fourth son of Ham. If you're wondering where that name came from, non-Jews that lived in the Palestine area, mostly along the coast. Canaan was also the name for the era of the Palestine west of the river to the sea now that phrase should have new meaning to you from the sea to the from this from the sea to the river from the river to the sea is the chant to exterminate the jews from the you know they they just did a pull on this and they asked all these people who use that chant what river are they talking about and they didn't know like the majority of them, i have no idea i just give the chant you know <laughs> we're just chanting stuff uh, anyway in Joshua 5.12, uh, it was called the land of the Phoenicians. Now, the Phoenicians were a seafaring people who came from, I believe, the north coast of Africa and spread all around. They were very good at what they do. They outjewed the Jews as far as trade, as far as middle class, as far as uh, merchants. They were really good at it. They, they were always found on the coast. They were seafaring people. They found Carthage. Yes, they did. And... Um, 
they were a force at one time. I mean, a real force. Um, it is used instead of the land of Canaan. It, they're interchangeable. Canaanites were considered Phoenicians. Uh, Tyre and Sidon were Phoenician cities, so it would be expected to encounter a Canaanite there. That's where Canaanites lived. Is, uh, is there a certain religion that they would have practiced there, or is it more just... As far as uh, the actual Phoenicians, uh, I don't know if it changed to where they went, because they were everywhere. I can't really answer that. At this time, it's a little different. Um, the Old Testament was easy because the Old Testament told you who they worshipped. New Testament doesn't give you that. Now, I'm sure our, if I went into it and through archaeological finds, and all, they would give me some. But Scripture doesn't really make it known. We know more about what the Romans believed uh, and who how they worshipped and what they did for the New Testament than we do about these folks. Uh, it's just not brought up, which is something interesting because it's brought up so much in the Old Testament. Yeah, we know exactly what they practiced. We know who they worshipped. We know what their God's names were and why God was angry at them for what they did. We don't get any of that, really. Other, we do have some understanding of um, the Samaritans. I mean, we do have understanding of who they were. You know, people that were transplanted there during the uh, expulsion and they sent their own people in and they took on a Jewish, uh, quasi-Jewish religion. Other than that, I don't have an answer for you. I've, there's none in Scripture that I know of. But they're not Christians and they're not Jews. Um, they would trade, because both were merchants, they traded with anybody. If there was money to be made, then we like you, you know, and we'll put up with you to make money. Uh, we're, we're expecting to encounter Canada. They're sort of like going to Hungary and encountering a Hungarian. I mean, it, that, that's where she should be. She obviously knows who Jesus is. This is really cool. She publicly calls him Lord in front of other Phoenicians and the son of David, which is a messianic title. She's calling him the Messiah. And not only does Jesus recognize this, and not only does that, I know he knows who she is before he goes there. But the public acknowledgement of all these things matters. When they play, playing out matters, you know. And not only is she saying it to Jesus, not only is she good, good buddy. Not only is she saying it to the disciples, she's telling to the disciples this guy's the Messiah. She's saying it to the Phoenicians, the people that are there. She requests mercy, uh, not standing on her heritage or her goodness, just mercy. I I don't deserve it. Just be merciful. And she truly believes that Jesus could and would help her daughter. Now there's a lot of people back in Galilee that don't believe this. I don't know how, she, well, it does tell us how the word of Jesus and about Jesus had spread, I mean, far beyond Israel. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him saying, send her away because she's shouting at us. She's annoying us, make her stop. You know, instead of them doing it, it's kind of cool that they go and ask Jesus first because a lot of times they did things and Jesus would say, why did you do that? And you could see the disappointment. And I guess they don't want to deal with that too much. So they've learned to ask first, you know, instead of having Jesus be mad at me, let, why don't I just ask him first, you know? And Jesus almost always responds to a plea for help. Sometime addressing the need before it's spoken. 
He picks people out in the crowd and knows they need something. He assigned it to her pleas for a purpose. A point is about to be made. She continues to shout at Jesus. Keeping on in prayer when you don't seem to have a response from God is a very important lesson. Keep praying. It's an odd thing. Jesus even said, when he gave that little parable about, you know, if you keep going to the judge and you keep asking for justice, you'll wear them down. And I know God's not talking about wearing it. Faith is what is displayed when you keep praying. It is proof of your faith. And faith is the commodity in the kingdom of God. When you don't give up praying because God didn't answer you tonight, or he didn't answer you this week, or he didn't answer you this year, so you quit bringing it before God because you're either mad at God or you think God doesn't care or whatever. The point is, faith will keep you praying. And that's the important thing here. And this woman wouldn't stop. And um, she was annoying the disciples. So they asked Jesus for permission to send her away. And then Jesus responds, but not to the disciples, to her. Uh who he ignored, honestly, was his disciples. So she's yelling, you know, help my daughter, save my daughter, help my daughter. They come and say, hey, send her away. He looks right past them and turns it. He waits for them to come and say that. And then he addresses her directly. If Jesus would have sent away the woman, a woman for yelling at men, it would have set a precedent for marriage. <laughs> you know, you can't send a woman away just for yelling at you. It ain't going to happen and if you were married, you know what that means. And he answered and said, this is what he said to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now we've covered that in past chapters. Uh, Jesus made that very clear. He also made it clear that it wouldn't stop there, that this is first, this is the divine order, and Jesus followed the order. He, he, he set the order. You know, he's the one who set how things are going to go so of course he's going to follow it. Jesus tells her he was sent by God on a mission to the Jews first. Remember what it says, God so loved the world, not the Jews, that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The world. But the Jews first. So it's not excluding us. It's just telling you an order. And that gets to be said here. And once again, the point gets to be made. I think it was made two times before in Matthew. Jesus rarely left Galilee or, or, or Judah, and he kept his ministry focused on the Jews. This trip to Phoenicia has a purpose. Matthew records this as the only encounter of this trip before Jesus returns to Galilee. The dude walks from here to Columbus, Ohio, and walks back to talk to this woman. That's how important she is. Jesus is always clear that the Jews were to receive the gospel first. The time for the Gentiles was coming. Actually, the vast majority of the New Testament is written to the Gentiles. The Jews, for the most part, rejected Jesus. It was the Gentiles that widely accepted him. I'm often taken by Jesus' words. I mean, they're profound to me. As he comes into Jerusalem for Passover and he's about to be crucified, he knows why he's going there. He knows what's going to happen. And he stops on the road before he enters the city. He looks at the city and he weeps. 
not for him, but for the people who are going to kill him. He said, oh, Jerusalem, how I long to bring you in. I, I, I've done everything I could. He proved it. He, he just again and again and again did miracles, spoke the truth to him. And they said, give us Barabbas. We're not looking for you. We want a political answer. We want the Romans gone. We don't, we don't want you to change us. We want you to get rid of the Romans. And if you're not going to do that, then you're out of here. Jesus weeps for the very people who are going to kill him. That's how deep Jesus' heart is. And he knows who they are, and he knows what they're going to do. So this little trip to the Gentiles has meaning. But she came, verse 25, but she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. She came closer, no longer yelling from a distance. And she bowed before Jesus. Other translations say knelt or use the word worshipped. And called Jesus Lord. The respect he did not get from any of his own people, especially his own religious leaders. The people who should have known who he was. The people who should have said, this is the Messiah. The people are going to be held accountable for not doing that. What does scripture say about uh, prophets and preachers? You're going to be held accountable for what you say or what you don't say. And, you know, I point you the watchman, he told Jeremiah. I think Ezekiel too. Ezekiel. Yeah, both I believe it was. And he said, I, if you say what I tell you to say, and they don't listen, it's on them. But if you don't say it, it's on you. Whew. So you want to be a prophet? <laughs> you know, you end up with the same issues as, uh, you know, what was the guy's name of the donkey? Balaam. You end up being Balaam. Okay. This was respect he didn't get from his own people. Her cry to help me was a cry for her daughter. Uh, desperation is evident this woman has nowhere else to turn but Jesus shows she knows who Jesus is and he shows up in Phoenicia like whoa you know I really need help and then all of a sudden help shows up and like you said I'm not sure what their religious background is I believe they integrated in with you know half of half you know it's like Haiti where half uh, black magic and half voodoo and half Christian, you know, half the time it got blended like that. That was my assumption of it, but I can't say it emphatically. Anyway, and he answered and said, Is it not good to take the children's bread? It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, don't get too worked up. He's not calling her a dog. He's giving a practical example of priorities and adhering to prophetic order. He came to save the world, world from sin. But it, once again, it does start with Israel. It wasn't time yet. Much like Jesus' comments to Mary at the wedding. Woman, it's not my time. He knows where he is on the clock. He knows exactly how the timeline plays out. It's his timeline. He controls it. But once again, just like with his mother, he bends it because he cares. Uh, and she, with her faith, I mean, she could have said, okay, and went away and mumbled and become an atheist. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I came to you. I humbled myself, and you did not heal my daughter. And now there's a lot of daughters that didn't get healed. Okay, but she very well could have become 
extremely angry at God. But instead, her having an understanding of God. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And that just warms the cockles of the heart of Jesus Christ. I mean, he's just like, ah. You know, I know he's got to turn and look at his 12 and go, see that? That's what I've been trying to tell you guys for a long time. The woman takes no offense and understands Jesus' statement. It is what it is. But blessings spill over to the unintended. <laughs> the blessings of God just wave on up. What does it say? That's Come back on every wave. On the they fall from the master's table. What a beautiful, what a beautiful thought to keep in your mind when you're praying for something. Blessings fall from the master's table. Uh, none of us deserve them. You know, we're we're all the dogs that sit around and wait. And then Jesus said to her. In response to her response, Oh woman, your faith is great. And in the kingdom of God, that's high praise. Jesus Christ, God himself, God incarnate, says to her, Your faith is great, which is what he said to the centurion. Hmm. Remember what he said to the centurion? Not in all of Israel have I found anyone with the faith that you have. That's why he's in the book. That's why she's in the big book. Because faith is the commodity in the kingdom of God. She's rich. She is spiritually wealthy beyond anybody in Israel. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Much like the servant. This guy said, you don't even have to go. You just say it from here and it'll happen. And Jesus went. That answer was as good as her answer. Hey, the crumbs fall from the table. I, I, I wish I was like them. I wish I had that faith, and I try to learn from those two people. You know, there's sermons here. <laughs> learn from these two people, and uh, what you couldn't learn from God's chosen people. The woman's response impacted Jesus not because she was witty, but because it proved her great faith that God would and could heal even those who were not on the list yet. She understood God and believed in him. She had faith. Just like the healing involving the other Gentile, it was done from a distance as soon as Jesus proclaimed it. You know, Jesus did not go to the girl. He just said, it's done. And it was done. I'll finish up with Mark's account. Oh, we're almost there. Mark's account from this is... Uh, Mark and... Uh, Matthew have very nice uh, uh, if you read them both you get a richer fuller picture Jesus uh, got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre and when he had entered a house which is not given before he wanted uh, no one to know of it yet he could not escape notice so even there he's trying to get away even up in Tyre they're, they know who he is they're still tracking him down man and you know the word is out but after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician race. She kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he, kept, and he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, which is a little kinder way of putting it, uh, for it is not good for the child to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
She answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child laying on the bed the demon had left. We'll finish up there because Jesus goes all that way, does this, turns around, and comes right back. He departed from there. Jesus went along the Sea of Galilee. They left the journey on, but now he's back at the Sea of Galilee, which is once again a week's, I mean, it's a long walk. So is there any questions, comments, criticisms? 29, right? Is that where I left off? I do have a question. Sure. But it has to do with a conversation that I had with my cousin about that event. But I need to go back and see if I can locate that conversation okay. on my phone before I can ask the question. Yeah. Remember um, next next time. Okay. Um, you know, I, another thing I wanted to say and bring up uh, is that um, I don't have a full understanding of the demon thing. Uh, whether people were mentally ill and they called it demons, or it doesn't matter. It's it's not important which it is. Uh, you know which one of those things is. There's somebody that has an issue, something's wrong, whether it be this or that. Jesus fixes it. Um, it's possible that this is cultural, where they're calling it a demon, and mostly what I hear from it is they're mentally ill. That's my take from it. And yes, there are some of it where there's no doubt in my mind where it's a spiritual thing. Um, and I don't, I can't say emphatically that all these things are that, but I don't want to step on scripture. Um, but I also understand that you have to view it, you always have to view scripture in the realm of when scripture was written, their world, you know. And, you know, as much as you can have an understanding of it. But every time I read that, I think about it, you know, and I'm still looking for a solid answer, and I guess I'm not going to get one until I... Are all these people actually demon-possessed, or are they mentally ill, and some are demon-possessed? And No, the one where they, they come out of the guy, and they go into the herd of pigs, and they run... I mean, <laughs> that's surely... That is surely not, uh, you know, what, what we might call depression. <laughs> you know, that that's a little bigger than, you know, uh, yeah, some mental illness issue or uh, emotional problem. Uh, but I will also say this. I also know that it is a spiritual pinnacle in time. Not only is God active on earth, I'm assuming that Satan is active on earth in response as much as he can be. I don't know how these people know it's a demon. Now, some, like I said, it's very obvious but I don't know how they know this girl has a demon problem. So the only reason I'm saying it is because I think about it. And I don't know if anybody else does. You know, and it's just, it doesn't trouble me at all. I just want to know. You know, and I will one day. So I generally assume that what it says is what it is. But I keep my mind open to, it's possible that these people are mentally ill. So just saying that, uh, I'll just leave it at that. And I don't want that to trouble anybody to think that I don't believe what Scripture says. I do. They had a problem. Jesus healed them miraculously. What the particular, you know, it's like arguing over what is leprosy. You know, it's the same thing. You know, is it something that we can compare it with today or some other, you know, 
It's like the old, I got the case of the consumption. Well, what's consumption? You know, it's like that. It doesn't matter. They were desperately in need of help, and he helped them. He did miracles. No matter what, that was miraculous. So I'll leave it at that. It's those questions that come up. And just because somebody brought up a question, it's, I brought up my question. You know, like what I said at the end of the, the last message about, well, if we're sanctified completely when we meet God, then why are we being sanctified now? And I said, what do you think your reward's based on? You know, and it's clear. You know, well done, my good. How much is he Lord now will be how much your reward will be. It, it, it's pretty simple. But, what was that? Um, how much what? Your reward, uh, sanctification. The question, I've been preaching on sanctification, and the question, I closed with this. The question is this. If we become completely sanctified when we die, when we see him as he is and become like him, and there's complete sanctification is not a real argument. How and when that happens, people argue about. I, I don't care. But if you're going to be completely sanctified by God, may the Lord God sanctify you entirely. I mean, Scripture's clear. Then why is it important that we become sanctified slowly, piece by piece, here, if it's going to be completed there? Well, because here matters. Yeah. It always did. This whole idea, you know, and people will say, well, it doesn't seem just that people who are really good are treated as bad as people who are really bad. Okay. There are no good people, there are no bad people. But in the kingdom of God, those who follow the Lord and keep him as Lord obviously get, Scripture makes it clear, get rewarded at the great, you know, in front of Jesus Christ, that judgment seat of Christ, which is what uh -huh. it's for. It's not for condemnation. For it is for reward. Yeah. That's going to happen. And we don't talk about it because we're pretty just happy to be there. <laughs> you know, it's not, and maybe one day it should be talked about. It matters. And, and of course, it, you know, if Kevin's, if Cheryl or Kevin's reward is greater than mine, we're all going to agree. I'm going to say, yes, it is. It should be. And that jealousy and all that pettiness is going to be gone. And I, I don't know if there will be regret. I guess there should be that I, what could have been mine that I chose not to do. And after that, then all the tears are wiped away and all that's gone. Good to go after that. But the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, are based on something uh -huh. And I would think how much you walk with the Lord here and walk towards sanctification and become conformed to the image of Christ here matters. So, and it also strikes me as odd the people, the criminal on the cross. How much could he have been sanctified here? You know, it doesn't matter. God knows what each, uh, a three year old child. Uh, a 10 year old child, an 18 year old who has responsibility. God knows exactly what they would have done, how they would have done it. It will be just, it will be right. Mm -hmm. And uh, some, sometimes we confuse, I confuse myself and we confuse ourselves when we think of God as us, when we think of Him thinking like we think. And he is so far above. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And he, the next line is, nobody's as gracious as me. So what he's saying is, you're not as gracious as me. So don't even think you can think that like I do. And then he goes on to tell them, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to fix you. I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to harm you. I'm going to do this to bless you. 
You're going into captivity for the rest of your life. <laughs> I'm going to bless you. You're, you're going into captivity for the rest of your life. Thanks, Lord. And he's absolutely right. And so, let's pray. Lord, as always, your word just mm, speaks to us. I'm so thankful for it. And I'm so thankful for the spirit leading us through it and to it. And Lord, it's, it's just like the textbook and the teacher. And we're just so glad to have both. And just so thankful for all the people who gave their lives and shed their blood so that we could have it. But Lord, as always, we ask that your word find a home in our hearts and it change us. So that we become an answer, not a part of the problem. And I ask you to watch over my brothers and sisters. Make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate. Help them to glorify your name and what they think, what they do, and what they say. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas.